Well, I'm excited that we're here in the uh, not convened studios because we're all at our homes during the coronavirus time, but I'm excited to be with Deanne Turner, the former Chick-fil-A Vice President for Talent and Sustainability. Chick-fil-A, the third largest restaurant chain in America, and Deanne is also the author of Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture That Wins the Hearts of Customers. Deanne, welcome. Thank you so much, Greg. It's a it's a big pleasure to be with you, even while social distancing. We are social distancing to the max because you're in Atlanta area and I'm in California. So I think we're safe. <laughs> I think so. Well, how about if we start with the question that's on everybody's mind? Everybody goes to Chick-fil-A that I know. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A and everybody knows what happens there, which is a great meal and somebody saying to you, it's my pleasure. Where did that come from? It's my pleasure actually originated from Truett Cathy, Chick-fil-A's founder, experience with the Ritz-Carlton restaurant uh, okay. hotel chain. He had spent some time with Horst Schultze, and they, uh, he loved the way when he said thank you that the employees would say, my pleasure. Truett liked it so much that he came to Chick-fil-A's annual convention he stood up in front of all the franchisees and he told a much longer version of the story that I just told you about his Ritz-Carlton experiences. And he particularly didn't like when he went to his restaurants that sometimes the, the predominantly teenagers working there would use a very familiar phrase, no problem. And of course, it's not a problem to serve people. And he thought saying, it's my pleasure, it's my pleasure to serve you was a much better response to the customers. Mm. So... He decided to stand in front of the entire group that day and he said, this is what I want you to do. When your guests say, thank you, I want your team members to say my pleasure. Well, Greg, you won't believe this, but we went away and nothing changed. The CEO of the company had requested this of his entire organization and nothing changed. And this went on for 10 years. He came back oh, every wow. year and made the same request. Now, you might be wondering, how can a CEO ask his company to do something for 10 years and they don't do it? Well, you have to understand that when these franchisees went into business with Truett Cathy, they really only had three rules. He was a man who created a lot of principles for people to uh, incorporate into their business, but he didn't create a lot of rules. And his three rules when they came into business with him was don't open on Sunday, don't change the menu, and put the money in the bank. <laughs> and so when he started talking about it's my pleasure, they thought, oh, well, that's just a suggestion. So this ah. went on and on for 10 years. And finally, the 10th year, he stood up in front of the whole organization and he sort of slammed his fist down on the podium, which was very uncharacteristic for Truett. And he said, now I mean it. When your guests say thank you, I want your team members to say my pleasure. And he had us practice it a few times right there um, as a big group, thousands of people. When we walked away, his son, Dan, who's now the CEO of Chick-fil-A, he said, I think dad means it. And so there's where we started really using it chain-wide. But here was the key to all this. We have some really smart and talented franchisees, and they didn't just take it as a rule and go back and tell their team members. Now, when a guest says, thank you, say my pleasure, make sure you say my pleasure every time. Be sure to say my pleasure because true, it might come and you didn't say my pleasure and we'll get in trouble. They didn't do that at all. They went back and taught a principle to their team members, which was this. It is our pleasure to serve. 
You know, without these customers, there wouldn't be any paychecks, there wouldn't be any promotions, there wouldn't be college scholarships, there wouldn't be team outings and parties and all of those things. The only reason we have those things is because we have customers. And so it's always a pleasure to serve them. And the team members, they responded beautifully to their franchisees and started incorporating that. And that's why when you go to a Chick-fil-A restaurant, you just don't get a rote, my pleasure, but you get, it's my pleasure. And there's a big difference between those two. Yeah, that's great. That's a great story. Understanding the sort of the ethos, the why behind the statement, and it makes it very robust. It's not just a, a, a thing that people say like, no worries or, or something like that. Yeah. I've been with uh, Dan, I think you and I've talked about this on radio interviews, and he and I walked to the Biola University campus together a few times, and he... Um, so true confessions, I worked for Service Master for 20 years and we did hospital maintenance and housekeeping and biomedical engineering and laundry and all this kind of stuff. So I'm always picking up trash. So uh, we're walking the Biola campus and Dan stoops down and picks up some trash. And I say to him, you don't have to do that. You're not at a Chick-fil-A restaurant. He says, I can't get it out of my system. And I said, neither can I. So we walked around the campus picking up trash for five <laughs> minutes as we went from point A to point B, but what's the reason behind Dan, the CEO of the company, a multi-billion dollar company, I think now upwards of 10 billion, why would he pick up trash? Well, you know, I can't answer for him, but I can tell you what I observed as an employee all those years under Dan's leadership. And he, he really, um, everything was principles that his father taught, but it was that to be a real servant leader, you demonstrate the things you want others to do. And when you have a guest, if you had a guest come to your home, you'd want everything to be clean. You'd want your yard to be pristine and new flowers to have been planted and all the furniture dusted and the floors vacuumed and all those things. And it's the same thing. That's how his father looked at a restaurant. And that's how I think Dan looks at the restaurant too, as I've observed him and, and worked beside him during in, in the past is we're having guests here and we want everything to look beautiful for those guests, not just to have great tasting food, but the entire environment to be reflective of excellence, which was our original core value of Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, I was talking to my son last night, who's a pastor in Washington state, and he worked at Chick-fil-A as many people did for quite a while. And he said, dad, be sure to say that I loved it. And I loved the second mile service training videos mm. Talk about what is the second mile service training videos. If you ask me the one thing that I'm most proud of during my service at Chick-fil-A of what Chick-fil-A did, I would say the introduction of second mile service. And here's what was happening at the time that all this came about. Uh, Chick-fil-A, of course, was the creator of the original Chick-fil-A sandwich. Truett did that uh, back in his original restaurant and uh, decades and decades ago. And it was the um, first and best Chick-fil-A sandwich, according to customers. Uh, but decades ago, and not just the most recent time, but decades ago, we, uh, other restaurant companies started copying it. In fact, one such company called it a fried breast of chicken sandwich with two pickle slices. Oh, my. And Exactly. And so, of course, it wasn't as good, but it was a little not. cheaper. And at that time, Chick-fil-A wasn't as uh, well known as it is now. So people didn't necessarily know about the original chicken sandwich. 
So we started thinking about what would happen if all of a sudden everyone started copying the sandwich that could be done. And we decided to focus on something completely different. And that was the service element. Well, when we first started out, there were these ideas about what we want team members to do is to go the extra mile for customers. The first mile service looks like a correct order and a pleasant person to take that order and to receive it in a reasonable amount of time. But second mile service could be competitive advantage. And much like the it's my pleasure statement, it started out as a rule. There were a lot of rules around second mile service um, about how to do this. And then what we realized is that the team members were really being constrained by the rules. What if we freed them up and said something like this? What we want to happen is that on every visit, a guest would experience some element of second mile service. What if that was the principle and we just let those team members like your son go out there and serve the customers? So that's what Chick-fil-A did. And what happened in response was phenomenal. The team members equipped with that principle instead of a set of rules. Well, they were changing tires in the parking lots. They were jumping off dead batteries. They were going dumpster diving for discarded dental appliances. They were returning wallets and purses left in the restaurant to guests who were 25 miles away with all the contents intact. And the stories got bigger and bigger and bigger because when you free people up to actually serve the guests, and you give them a principle and let them let them have the freedom to operate and innovate under that principle, some amazing things really happen. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of what I'm observing as a customer at Chick-fil-A. Now that I'm retired from Chick-fil-A, um, I have a little bit of a different perspective. And you and I were talking offline before we even started this podcast, and I told you how impressed I was with what I was seeing because that care, that second mile service is still being exhibited even in a crisis that we're experiencing right now. That principle hasn't changed a bit. Have to do it a little differently. Can't do it the same way we're doing it before, but they are definitely have made some adjustments that I think will continue to endear them and win the hearts of their customers. Mm-hmm. Talk about the biblical uh, underpinnings of second mile service. Uh, do you still use the video that I saw a long time ago with a Roman soldier walking down the road or was that an early iteration? Well, I've been gone from Chick-fil-A for nearly two years now, so I can't answer as to whether or not they're still using that. But that there's no uh, question that the basis of Second Mile Service is still from Matthew chapter 5. And the story behind that is, of course, that um, where Jesus is telling the story, that if the Roman uh, asks you to carry their pack a mile, you carry it joyfully and with a cheerful spirit, um, a second mile. And that was the basis of the principle that was taught to those team members about let's make, um, and they did it so well that um, it became, the statement became make second mile second nature. Let's go ahead and talk about your book a little bit. Great talent plus remarkable culture, creating a remarkable culture results in winning the hearts of customers. Talk about that formula. Uh, Great talent, yes. Uh, great culture, yes. Win the hearts of customers, yes. And but but you don't say better EBITDA. You don't say certain things that a lot of people are going for today. You talk about winning the hearts of customers. So just talk about what's uh, what, what that's all about in your book, Bet on Talent. Well, I make it sound so simple. 
you know, but it took me about 50,000 words to explain what took place over 50 years at Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it's not nearly as simple as it sounds, but yet um, it was exactly the way Truett Cathy founded his company and he ran the company and how leaders have picked up those principles and carried them on. You start with a, the foundation of a remarkable culture. And for Chick-fil-A, that was based on their purpose, their very why for being, which is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us, to be a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And so that's the foundation of a remarkable culture is a meaningful uh, purpose. Um, why are we in business at all? What is the, why are we here? That's what a purpose is. The second element is a challenging mission. If the purpose is the why, then the mission is the what. What big goal are we trying to accomplish? Now, for most organizations, a purpose would never change. Your why is always your why. If it changes, you're probably in a different business. But a mission changes when? Well, when the goal is accomplished, right? And so then you... Um, get a new mission and a new goal to achieve. The third element of a remarkable culture is demonstrated core values. Those are the behaviors of how we're going to live out the purpose and mission. And you notice I said demonstrated because it's not good enough just to have a list of core values that you post on a wall somewhere. They have to be lived out day by day. So that's where you start. You start with this foundational culture, um, remarkable culture. And then you've got to have somebody to execute that. And that's where extraordinary talent comes in. Mm -hmm. And this is a, um, a compromise that you can't make. You know, some organizations, they just like to hire people. At Chick-fil-A, we selected talent. There's a huge difference between that. Hiring people, that's all about quantity. That's just you know, warm bodies. Who can I get to fill this shift? Who can I get to make sure we have enough people in the kitchen? Who can I make, how can I make sure we have enough people up front? But selecting talent, that's all about quality. Do I have the right people to fill the right roles to achieve what I'm trying to accomplish? And so the way to go about selecting extraordinary talent is to look at three criteria. The first is character. Does this person, this candidate, have the character that matches the organization. The second piece is, do they have the competency that matches the role? And the third piece is, do they have the chemistry that matches the team? Mm. So you take those two pieces and then you take that extraordinary talent and they have this foundation of this culture. And then you add to it, you teach them principles where they can deliver amazing customer experiences, just like the one we were talking about earlier about second mile service. You don't give them a stack of rules to be compliant to because that's not gonna create amazing customer experiences, but teach them principles. And as leaders demonstrate those principles so they know how to behave and then give them the freedom to do that. And then people will amaze you in the ways that they'll win the hearts of their customers. You start with the end in mind, which is, I want to win the hearts of my customer, because if I win the heart of the customer, they'll keep coming back again and again, and they'll bring more people with them. And mm -hmm. to do that, I'm going to create a remarkable culture that not only are my, are my employees engaged in, but actually the customers themselves become engaged in because it's so much a part of the organization. And then I'm going to select this extraordinary talent to execute those principles. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, 
that was my uh, 20 years of upbringing in Service Master. I could have uh, changed the name Chick-fil-A to Service Master, and, and that's exactly how I think. But there's some people who are listening to us who would say, that's all warm and fuzzy. I just want to hire people to do their job. I don't want to get to know them. I don't really know the name of their kid. Uh, sometimes I forget the name of their spouse, and I don't really want to go to dinner with them too many times because I would get too close to them in case I had to fire them. And I couldn't fire them if I'm too close to them. And so this whole uh, interpersonal thing kind of scares me. People are supposed to get their job done. What would you say to that person? Well, first of all, I'd say that sounds pretty miserable. I don't know about you, but you know, now that I own my own business, I certainly wouldn't want to operate a business like that because it really wouldn't be very much fun. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that I would be very successful long. I think those are short term visions mm -hmm. and you can, you can generate a lot of money. You could take that approach and you could be all heads down and drive, drive, drive. And, you know, in a, in a tough economy where jobs aren't plentiful, um, people would sign up for that and they might go along for a certain period of time, but I don't think it's sustainable. And what you experienced at ServiceMaster and what I experienced at Chick-fil-A, those are sustainable business models that have gone on for decades upon decades upon decades. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think that's the big difference. It's like, well, you know, you could, you could exhaust a system and charge through and not have those relationships. But I think that's a very short term view and it doesn't lead to long term success. Well, let's talk about the other side of the coin. Somebody who gets, too enmeshed with the person that reports to them and you know always taking them and their spouse out for dinner and loves on them but they're not really performing and they're afraid to fire them because they'll hurt their feelings sure and i think that's a risk but you know a truly remarkable culture while going out to dinner together and doing those things can be a part of it living life together as we used to call it chick-fil-a there's another really important part of remarkable culture in remarkable cultures, leaders hold their teams accountable and the individuals accountable. Accountability is part of a remarkable culture. So those items really can become separate. It's like, this is the environment we have. Yes, we love on each other, if I can use that word. We treat each other with honor, dignity, and respect. But part of loving people and treating them with honor and dignity and respect is not just the time we spend together, but it's creating goals and expectations and holding them accountable to those so that they can feel successful because that's an important part of a remarkable mm -hmm. culture as well. So um, I think that's how you guard against what you're talking about is that you create clear expectations and hold people accountable while you're doing all the fun stuff too. Yeah, um, okay. Uh, we are in the midst of a big economic downturn. Uh, somebody might listen to this five, 10 years from now and say, what was that? But we know right now we're in the big economic downturn of 2020 uh, due to uh, some virus issues that are gigantic. Talk to the person who's had to uh, lay off people because their revenue went to zero. Maybe they were a restaurant, maybe they're a catering company, maybe they're a movie theater but they've had to lay off everybody. They've burned through their two months of cash reserves. Uh, they got their money from the government. It didn't really last too long and they have to say goodbye to 50 people. As they head out to do that, what would you say to them? 
That's such a tough, tough question. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, Greg, I've never been in that position. I worked for Chick-fil-A for 33 years and I never had to lay anybody off. And um, that I can only imagine how difficult that would be. As a small business owner, as this took place, I didn't have to lay people off, but I did actually have to end some of my contracts with some of my suppliers. My business uh, has really come to a halt. One of the things that I do is speak about 50 times a year and needless to say, public speaking hasn't been in demand and won't be um, for a little while given our current circumstances. And so um, as I'm adjusting to what does my business look like in the future, I had to stop some of my monthly expenses which um, impacted other people. And you know, I think that um, what we wanna do is this is an opportunity to be incredibly kind and not just think about ourselves when we're the one making that decision, but truly think about the other person. Sometimes mm. we get wrapped up of, I got to go do this. It's like, yeah, you got to go do it, but put yourself in the person who's going to receive it. If there's mm -hmm. anything at all you can do to help somebody that you're laying off, whether it's just give them, you know, a letter of recommendation or connect them to other people you're connected to just those small acts of kindness. You can't necessarily give them another job. You can't promise them anything, but if you can just make some small acts of kindness um, to help them move on to the next thing they're going to do. Uh, I think that would be incredible. Hmm. Okay, let's switch gears. Uh, somebody owns a pizza shop uh, or a uh, exercise equipment that you buy and put in your house. Their business is going through the roof. Yeah. And some of them might be saying, uh, I just need a warm body, two arms, two legs, get the job done, no time to train you, let's get going. What would you say to that person how to uh, hire somebody right on that first day? Uh, what would you say to them? Well, I've, I'm, I am seeing that happen. I see the advertisements from the grocery stores and like you said, the delivery restaurants, they're just saying, um, we'll, you know, come interview today, you'll start tomorrow. And, uh, the, you know, there is, there are seasons and I believe a place of survival. So if, if I had been talking with you in early February and you were one of my clients and I was talking to people then that were, they couldn't find anybody to work for them. And so they were just in that same situation. And what I said to them is I said, you know what, you're in a period of survival. And for right now, you have to get through this. You have to have people in place, but cycles are going to change. I did not, I did not intend to be prophetic and I'm really sorry it happened as quickly as I had said that after the first of February, but cycles change. And so while you're surviving this season, you need to be focused on what the next season looks like and be planning for that. So you need to be putting in those pieces that said, you know what, I've got to have somebody to deliver a pizza today, but this is going to change eventually. When it does, I want a selection process that ensures that I'm selecting people with the character that matches this organization because the character of my employees creates the sum total of my culture. Said mm -hmm. a different way, my culture is the sum total of the character of my employees. Um, I want to be sure that the people that I'm selecting for the future have the competency for the job, that, and, that have all the skills and abilities, and that they have the chemistry to match the team. And sometimes people can't, I mean, it is impossible in certain circumstances to check every one of those boxes. Do the best that you can, but start planning on how you're going to do it differently moving forward and don't get stuck in that routine that you continue to do it from now on. Mm -hmm. 
I love the story of the service profit chain from Harvard. I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. it. But sure. That if I hire somebody and say, uh, hurry up and deliver the pizza, here's the uniform from the last guy, sorry, it's the wrong size and we didn't get a chance to wash it, but love on customers. We just sent a mixed message, right? I don't care about you. I just gave you a dirty shirt from the last guy, but I want you to care for our customers. And uh, I'm sure at Chick-fil-A, you didn't give somebody the uniform from the last guy with the, and tell them, go home and wash it and stuff like that. So, well, let's talk you about- know, I'm, I'm also a big believer in situations like this. Here's something else you can do when leading in crisis. I think that you can't solve everything, but you can solve some things. So if you can pick one thing, it's like, you know what, I, I don't know that I can select for this character competency chemistry thing right at the moment. You know, I need this to be accomplished. But I'm going to do this one thing for my employees, and I'm going to hold this one expectation of how they're going to treat guests. And if, if you can incorporate one thing, and then when you have that in, get to the next thing. I think that's another way you can walk your way through a survival method, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. survival period. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about one other scenario that's happening today. Here we are uh, remotely, but some people have 100 employees who are all working remotely. What advice would you have for them when there's less high touch uh, than is per, as per normal? My recommendation is to overdo everything. Mm -hmm. Over-communicate, over-connect, um, over you know, give more feedback than you normally do, but stay connected with people over meet if you have to, um, you know, these zoom meetings, I'm loving what I'm seeing of all these organizations and how they're getting together. And, um, you know, different cultures are, are do different things, but I know I was watching this one company and they had dress up day, you know, and they all dressed up as a different character for their meeting. Well, you would never do that at work. So in, in your office building. So it's kind of fun that you can do something different. Mm. Um, but I think that's the most important thing is don't allow the distance to do less of anything, but actually it's going to require you to do more of just about everything that you would normally do in leading people. Mm, sweet. Well, uh, you have a new book. I think you said just this week you landed the title coming out from Baker, Crush Your Career and give us the whole title. Sure. Crush Your Career. Ace the interview land the job and launch your future. And so it's a flip and bet on talent. I talk to leaders about growing their cultures and their talent and winning the hearts of customers and now in Crush Your Career, I'm actually talking to those that potential extraordinary talent for those organizations about how to do that. And it really is the lifestyle, uh, excuse me, the life cycle of your career. It starts from um, looking for part-time jobs all the way through to talking about retirement and it's for people who are getting their first job or transitioning and all the people who coach them, whether they're parents or career counselors or leaders in business and uh, others. Um, so I'm really excited. It'll be out April of 2021. Great. And we'll probably be able to be together by then, I'm sure. So uh -oh. well, I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully in, in uh, October in Chicago is what yes. I'm hoping for. October, Chicago. Uh, did we get that right, Nolan? October, Chicago. We'll be seeing Deanne in person unless the coronavirus uh, does something strange that we're not expecting. So that'll be exciting, exciting time. If somebody wants to check out your website, where would they go? Please go to deanneturner.com. That's D-E-E-A-N-N turner.com. And can also find me by the same name, of course, at LinkedIn 
uh, on Facebook at Deanne Turner Author and on Instagram at Deanne Turner. Great. That's exciting. Well, it's been great to be with you, Deanne Turner, the former Vice President for Talent and Sustainability at Chick-fil-A, author of the best-selling book, Bet on Talent. Thanks so much for being with us at Convene from our homes in Atlanta and California. Thank you, Greg. It was my pleasure.